and welcome to Teaching Python. This is episode 108, Hardware for Learning, and we're here with the founder of JuiceMine, or one of the founders of JuiceMine, Ryan Dehumabed. Um, and we are uh, so excited to have you on the call, Ryan. My name's Sean Tiber. I'm a coder who teaches. And my name's Kelly Schuster Paredes, and I'm a teacher who codes. I like that you put that little Spanish on there. I had to now, because you said yeah. I'm Spanish. So, you know, I had to... <laughs> I usually say it in the English word because, you know, when I go to Peru, no one understands me saying it in a Spanish way. So we tried it. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, Ryan, welcome to the show. We're super excited to have you here this week. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here also. Thanks for having me. So can you give us like the one or two sentences of who you are and uh, and the company that you founded? Yeah, definitely. So I, as you said, uh, as you said, my first name and last name, my name's Ryan Demoved. Um I'm a co-founder. I can't take full credit for starting JuiceMind, um, but we're essentially a company that provides various um, curriculum enhancements in the coding space to um, a variety of classes within K through 12. Um, I previously worked as a software engineer at Amazon and um, graduated in Berkeley. And yeah, I'm super passionate about um, anything coding, coding and engineering related. And um, yeah, I love what you guys are doing with the podcast also to um, make Python information more accessible um, to other people. So it's super exciting to be here. We're glad Great. to have you. Like, like the woman said, we are super happy to have you. Before we get into the main topic and talking about um, all the cool stuff you're doing at JuiceMind, we're going to start with the wins of the week. And you get to go first because you're our guest this week. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, wow. <laughs> You're making me feel too important. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so the win for this week, we came out with um, a new product as part of our company, which is essentially a, um, you could think of it as a Kahoot for coding. So right now we offer a solution. So one of the limitations of Kahoot is pretty much that everything is multiple choice based, but to have um, something engaging for your um, computer science class. I feel like students, uh, like it's such a big part of, it's such a big part of it is like writing code and like debugging um, that I don't think multiple choice did justice. So we came out with a product for AP Computer Science A that allows students to um, have, attempt questions in a collaborative way with their classmates, the where they can write code and find errors and do multiple choice. So that was a new product that we've um, come out with this week for AP Computer Science A. Nice. That's going to be a lot of uh, help for a lot of those comp sci people. So be pretty Definitely. cool. Very cool. You have, uh, Sean, do you want to go first or I go first? I don't know. This this week's been all uh, all Lambda <laughs> functions and coding. So I've been writing a ton of Python and it's been really fun to get back into it. And I was uh, trying to solve a problem that I actually figured out how to use Jinja templates to do it. So it'd make it even simpler, like less code, more templates. Um, and I'm pretty excited about how it's shaping up. And then my boss was like, this is really awesome, but I need you to focus over here instead, Sean. <laughs> so that might've been my fail was making something really cool that we, it's like priority two. Um, so I have to get back on priority one. <laughs> that is not like you at all. <laughs> I know you're shocked that I would get distracted by the new shiny thing. <laughs> like a barracuda. <laughs> oh, man. What was my win? I've had a couple wins. I coded my first, well, I, 
background. I did HTML way back when, when I used Dreamweaver and my, my uh, teacher laughed at me because he's like, oh, you are old. And I'm like, thanks. <laughs> um, uh, but I did Bootstrap this week and I learned how to cheat. Kind of like chat, chat GPT for HTML. Copy and paste, beautiful <laughs> header, done. I was like, wow, why didn't they do this? So I learned Bootstrap. I put a preliminary, like, you know, it's not, I'm not going to produce it, but just to pr practice getting stuff out there, more or less to learn more about HTML and, and figure out how you can find things through this Bootstrap code and and the CSS and understand like when you're web scraping for the Python, there's so much in a website now. It's kind of like a car back in the in the 70s and 80s. You could fix a car really easy because there's no computers. That's kind of how HTML was when I was coding back in the days. And now it's kind of like a Tesla HTML. So you don't really know where the page is going. There's like so much stuff hidden into it. So I love that that concept. Um, and I was trying to think, how can I apply that kind of thought process in the classroom but that whole idea of here's something now that you're doing you're going to make it even though you're not going to be an html web designer but here's what you need to know and it was kind of cool so i did that and score <laughs> i only took a week to do it <laughs> <laughs> well that's that's pretty awesome i mean it it's amazing like it you know over the last 10 or 15 years things really have changed on the front end web development front like there's so many great frameworks now and resources and tools. And yes, you have to add a bunch of extra cognitive load to pick it all up and, and make sure it's working. But you can be very productive with beautiful uh, web apps and websites in a very short amount of time. And it's kind of amazing to see it all come together. Yeah, but it's like a rabbit hole, right? Because you go down it and you're like, I don't really like that color. And that color scheme doesn't really work. And you're like, you waste all this time. I'll stick to coding uh, with Python. <laughs> it's not a, it's not a waste of time colors matter styles matter and this is why we have front-end app developers we have people who can do this really really well so that i don't have to exactly exactly that was my thought so i submitted the assignments hope we get an a i have to i have to i'm going to put a link to it in the show notes but i do have a, a really great video of a back-end developer doing css like it's basically he's trying to put like a tray of like drinks into a fridge and like ends up like smashing the shelves to make room for it and turning it in sideways and like cutting a hole in the door to like make room for it to fit in instead of just turning it where it's supposed to be it, it i feel personally attacked but also amazing that yeah. they capture the feeling so well yeah i i tried with lots of colors eventually went back to two five four two five four two five four yep just <laughs> I had a background. <laughs> what color does that represent? Barely white. <laughs> I mean, almost, almost white. <laughs> it's very, 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 very light gray. It's like when, it's like when Sean's wife will be like, "Do you like this white, or do you like this white?" <laughs> this is creamy ivory, and this is you know, girls do that to men all the time. <laughs> yep, it, I've it's happened once or twice. <laughs> All right, move on. <laughs> All right, let's let's jump into the main topic. Um, Ryan, let's talk a little bit about first about how you got started here, kind of what your journey has been like. Um, you know, it sounds like you've had the opportunity, the, the privilege, as it were, to go through a bunch of AP computer science programs in the past and talk to people who have and get a feeling for what really works and what doesn't. Can you start kind of like in your journey of, of uh, you know, computer science and, and how that brought you to where you are today? Definitely. So um, my first experience or introduction to programming was 11th grade in high school. 
I wasn't a really good programmer back then, just because um, I feel I don't know if you guys have taken that class, but um, it, 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 well, it, they just barely had it when I was in high school. And I think it was uh, taught in like we didn't have C computers or Java or something like that. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, no, I was really I was really surprised. I'm not gonna try to say you guys are like really old, but I think I saw that it started in like 1980s, the uh, teaching like Java and AP computer science. So I'm like, I always ask the question as like, well, the, um, the thing was, is even back in the 90s, there just weren't people who could teach it. So anybody I knew that was taking Definitely. AP computer science was doing it as an independent study. And they'd be sponsored by like an English teacher or something that would just make sure that they actually did it. But no one who could actually teach them or instruct them, they had, they had to do the whole thing themselves. A hundred percent. Or they didn't have the funds for the computers either. So, And I think that's one of the biggest problems even right now with computers. That problem still hasn't be, been solved, that the um, people who actually know how to code and teach how to know how to code, most of them go to industry. So there really is a shortage of um, really good teachers. So when I first started... Um, I don't want to get, I want to make my teacher seem bad if he's like listening to this podcast, but he's a great guy, but he didn't um, know how to code. He was an econ teacher um, that was placed in, um, to responsible for teaching computer science. So the first, my first introduction was very um, tough to fully grasp coding because the class jump, jumped straight into kind of like logic. And um, for new programmers, I mean, it's super exciting when you get something right and like know how to do something and can like solve the puzzle. But if you could imagine, if you can't really solve the puzzle, um, things become a really stressful. And I feel computer science in general, like if you can't, if you don't have a clear vision of how you're applying it, putting in like the work and the grind in order to kind of like solve those puzzles becomes very kind of like demoralizing at times. Um, so that was kind of one of the problems that um, we're trying to solve uh, with Juice Mind, how can we make computer science more um, one more engaging, and two show the practical applications from it, so students can first develop that sense of passion, and um, in order to kind of like justify putting in the work at a later time, in order to develop the computational thinking tools, so they can pretty much because like the amount of things that you could do with a computer science education is pretty much like unlimited for example like you were building like a website today and um yeah you were deploying i still don't understand what you did today sean but <laughs> it, it's, it's okay it's, it happens all the time i don't understand <laughs> half the time things do so just smile and nod <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it sounded really cool and like applicable so and it, and all you need is generally that found i think first what you need is to develop that passion see that you could uh, build like a wide array of like different things and it's a really powerful tool and then you need to d develop the foundation and once you develop the foundation once you have those two um components there's pretty much um not a limit to where your creativity could take you when combined with the skill of like computer science so um that's why we started juice mind to provide the practical application a show solve the first part which is to try getting students more passionate about computer science in general. Yeah, I um, I tried your product and and we did this in the the schools um, in our exploratory, just kind of doing a a fun thing. So I have a lot of kids in my exploratory class that just consume new products. They literally, I bring have to buy in new stuff because they master a lot of things really quickly. So I gave it to a couple of my 
<clears throat> my more advanced students, and they were like, I know all this. So they skipped through the basics, obviously, I was telling you for them, but it was great. <laughs> yeah. well, it was great because as a kid that wouldn't know any Python, the platform is phenomenal for that. And they got to do the building part. And I think that's really nice is the actual touching of components, but seeing it online um, first and having to go through what a component is, because you don't get the opportunity much to do that in, in my curriculum of what components are, resistors, breadboards. We try to touch on it, but there's just so much to do, right? So many cool things you can do. and, and Definitely, nice. yeah. So, so talk about your... Oh, sorry. You're, I was going to say, talk about more like, are you on the engineering side? Was it like, are you more of an engineer or a computer science or a mix? So for JuiceMind specifically, my co-founder has more ownership of the engineering side in terms of um, building out the website and um, building out the firmware to kind of um, support um, Python on the microcontroller such that um, they can build the doorbell and the ping pong launcher. However, my responsibility right now has been more on like the product side in terms of um, talking to feature teachers, um, understanding what they really want, narrowing down product requirements and um, yeah, coming up with um, marketing and sales material. However, I, I did study computer science and I'm an engineer at heart. So it is kind of like painful to not um, be hands on on like the product side. That's more of the fun part, honestly. Excellent. Nice. So, so let's go through some of these products. So JuiceMind is a company that's really focused on computer science education, and you've got products that can be used in a variety of different settings at different levels. Can you introduce us to the products that you offer? Like, what was the first thing that you came up with and launched, and, and how does it work? Definitely. So the first product we came out with is a smart doorbell. I actually have the kit over here. It's a really cute um, so, kit. I'm going to interject real quick. So it's a really cute kit. So you have to like kind of just explain the kit real quick <laughs> outside yeah, of it. Just the, just short, short couple sentences of the kit outside the packaging. So <laughs> at first, our vision was to try making um, making coding again as like fun and engaging as possible. So we tried shaping it as a juice mind. That's why a juice box. That's why we called it um, the name juice mind. So if I don't know if you guys could see, but... Um, <laughs> We have ingredients that come with the kit. So software is thankfully most software is thankfully most of the ingredients. However, um, there is a component of clout, which is 15 grams. So um, <laughs> nice. by learning Python, I think um, hopefully it, it would give your students a lot of clout and brain power and satisfaction are also um, part of the daily servings. So yeah, this is, um, Thanks. I uh, thanks for bringing that up. This is um, yeah. This is one of the first product we came out with. Essentially, it's uh, it it allows these students to learn how to. It pretty much serves as an introduction to Python, and allows students to learn the fundamentals of iteration, um, conditionals, data types, variables, booleans, um, while applying that knowledge towards building a smart doorbell that could send text messages and um, emails when somebody. Uh, presses a button. So the goal was to take kind of a Lego approach where students could be, um, while they're learning the concepts, they could directly being applied, be applying um, the concept that they're learning towards building a real product that's applicable. So the goal was that with that is to show students um, that the students, students starting off with Python 
that the knowledge that they're learning can be applied to like the real world and it is super um, useful and valuable to kind of like get into um, coding. So, so that was the goal with the first product. So I want to talk through the hardware a little bit because there's some really cool things here going on that I wanted to to highlight. So um, it's a smart doorbell, right? So it doesn't have like a camera or anything there in there, but What's really great about it is it has a breadboard as the heart of it, like kind of the the backing piece of it, which I think is brilliant because it's something that you would actually use for prototyping and it's part of your project. So you get familiar with that, um, but it looks like it's a ESP8266 board in there, right? Or something similar yeah. to that. It um, actually is an ESP8266, yeah. He knows his I, boards. He I, re I recognize the very, antenna. That's very impressive, yeah. I, I recognize <laughs> the antenna shape. Um, but it, it's something that you can run Python on. There's been some really great work on MicroPython and other libraries that you can run Python on this board. But if you're concerned like, oh, this is going to be like a ton of, of like components that the kids need to learn or that I need to learn, it's really great. It's the board, it's a button, it's a light sensor, it's a couple of wires, and the battery pack is like double A batteries. So and the jumper cables are already pre-bent. Oh <laughs> so nice. So thoughtful. Yeah, that was like I was like, oh, I heart that on there. I was like, you don't even have to do anything. <laughs> well, and and that's what I like about it is it's you know, sometimes you get um kits that have like a lithium battery in it, and then you have to like be careful with the lithium battery, like don't cut it, don't puncture it. Like these are double A batteries, right? Like everybody's familiar with them. There's this high degree of comfort with all of this. And then it's got these, this like really nice little cover that fits together and makes it look professional. So even if you're working with prototyping parts, the final product looks like a real product. So, you know, a kid can do that. Hey, hey mom, look at what I made sort of experience with something that looks pretty good. You know, like it's a, it's a finished product and they can say, I built it, I coded it. It does the things that I want it to do which is pretty exciting to see. Definitely. Yeah, that was um, that's the goal with our product. <laughs> and then I, I'm going to elaborate just a little bit on the teacher side using the product. So as a you know, as a teacher, especially for someone that may not know coding so well or needs to um, organize a lot of students, it has a platform um, similar to like a grade book, right or wrong. Ryan, it's like a grade book. You can see all your students logged in. You, They have to log in under your class. You can see their progression throughout the the platform. Um, and you can launch quizzes, right? Or I don't, I can't remember. Yeah, that's, launch quizzes. that's accurate. Yeah. And then what else am I missing? Um, that pretty much covered all of it. So yeah, we do have an LMS system that allows um, you to kind of like, as you said, track student progress. But um, our goal is to shift away from it more just because we want students to be kind of like more self-motivated however there always has to be kind of like that teacher-student interaction um so the quizzes um obviously um our goal with the quizzes or the kahoot like coding activities um is to kind of like foster more of that student and student and student teacher interaction and our goal for like the grading or like assessment of how well you did would be um, completion of the project and coming up with something creative um, that you could add to it. For example, as you mentioned, Sean, adding a um, camera to it, which is something we are planning on supporting in um, the next couple of months for next semester. And, th and that's one of the things I really like about hardware-based projects, too, is that it's something that, you know, you can take it in a variety of directions when it comes to extending 
that learning, right? So for some students, it might be, I'm going to add a camera to this, or I'm going to add some other electronics hardware to it. But for other students, it might be, I want to, you know, paint this in such a way that it blends in better, or I want to use it in a different setting that maybe isn't a doorbell, but it's something else. Or I want to just hang it up in my room and then have something happen when people press the door to enter my room. Like that sort of thing is opening up the the creative possibilities and also enhances the learning by giving students agency over where they take it next. Definitely. Yeah. And ping pong launcher or something. I think that's product number two. I haven't seen that. Yeah, that's our um, second project. If you, I would love to once your you, students finish. You have to send that one to me. You'll I'm have to send that to us. <laughs> I'm going to shoot it. Else. I'm going to shoot it at Sean. <laughs> Just uh, oh. If it were me, I would be pairing the two of these together. So you have someone entering the classroom, <gasps> pressing the doorbell, and getting a ping pong ball launched. Of course, you would. Of course you would. <laughs> <laughs> or a lot of ping pong balls. <laughs> I mean, that's po- with IoT, that is possible. Different devices can communicate. But um... Sean's mind's going, challenge accepted. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're dangerous with the ping pong launcher. I might send it, but it's not. I might not send it. <laughs> Have a sign a disclaimer before you ship it. <laughs> um, All right. So tell us about the ping pong launcher. Um, so the second product um, launches ping pong balls. Can you give us a little bit more kind of flavor and color? I'm. I didn't get to to see it. I just see what's on the website. So I'm. I'm guessing a little bit here. How does it work? Definitely. So. Um, the ping pong launcher is catered towards like students who have uh, finished the smart doorbell and are interested in or are interested or and um, are interested in exploring more um, on the robotic side. So it walks students through more advanced Python concepts, um, such as they're going to be able to build their own function and more um, advanced computational logic, computational, um, yeah, computational logic um, skills development. And um, they would put uh, dip their toes into um, controlling servo motors and DC motors. So the goal is that students, again, learn more advanced Python concepts and the basics of the robotics by building a launcher that could fire a ping pong ball. Um, the ping pong ball fires 20 feet. That's like a fun fact. But um, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the... <laughs> so it can cause some damage. <laughs> I'm ready. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's pretty much the fun um, continuation to from the smart doorbell that students can um, further develop their coding skills. Very cool. I, yeah, I, I, I love anything with movement and motion to it in coding because you see what you're coding, right? Like you see that it launched a ball or you see that it moved somewhere. And, and that's, I think, the real power of these types of kits is having something that that the student can see and be surprised by their own efforts definitely yeah that's uh that's our goal with that yeah and you definitely hit on the fun i said when i told sean i was like we're, we're not a we're not like oh we're gonna go support the whatever whatever this person that person it's a philosophy that we believe in fun with code and it's just fun to watch kids engage and to see see them make something and it's not like here, just put this in and turn it on and copy my code in and make something. It's actually a thought out product, which teaches why you're going and 
you have to go through the steps. That's why I love it. You have to go through the steps to actually get to the build part. And the kids are like, "Where? I just want to put this together." I'm like, "Ah, oh, it doesn't work that way. You gotta read, <laughs> click, read, click," which is which is hard to do when when you are in a classroom sometimes with students that may or may not really want to learn, but they want to build. So it's kind of like a forced learning while you're playing and. Um, it was good. I, I, I really enjoyed, uh, watching kids put them together. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you to, for yeah, of course. Um, to build off that. Yeah. I feel in middle school and even element elementary school, there are more, um, kids that lean towards it, but they just want to, again, as you said, like build, I think they're so used to Legos, um, that I feel the teachers, um, teachers have like, um, such a, such a, can make such a big impact in terms of like showing how um, both learning and building can be kind of like combined. And you obviously have to learn in order to like build in the um, real world once you get a bit older that um, things aren't always like click based. So um, yeah, I think the teachers have an opportunity to make a huge um, impact in that area. 100%. And I, what I tell the kids all the time, your parents pay pay for you or have you guys go to school so you can learn to read. So let's practice. <laughs> so read. <laughs> and they always hate that saying. I say, they send you here to learn how to read. So let's start reading. And they're like, this is coding. I'm like, no, it's reading. <laughs> it's a language. Get going. <laughs> so cool. Sean? Um, I was going to ask um, about uh, quizzes and kind of the gap that you see in uh, computer science education that better quizzes and better uh, engagement can fill. And I wanted to focus maybe more on the gaps um, that you see and less on the solution at this point, because I know it's still new and you're kind of finding the product fit and everything in the market. Um, Definitely. But, but what are the, you know, we talked a little bit about finding uh, or assisting teachers in teaching this content, especially if they're not necessarily trained computer scientists. What are some of the struggles that students in computer science, uh, especially in the AP level, are going through as they're trying to learn this? Like, what are the things that are most challenging? Um, and what are some ways that we can help address that? I think right now, one of the, um, honestly, I think one, there are two big um, issues that, um, in my opinion, are kind of like the biggest one from um, allowing students to pursue more computer science classes at um, a college level and even professionally once they get into AP computer science is the um, the first problem is that I don't um, it's a, a lot of the teaching isn't equipped equip, how do you say like um, so some students come into the class with a lot more knowledge um, than other students. So during kind of like the first weeks and even months, some students might like go through and like code everything in literally like two seconds. And it's like super intimidating um, being a student who's like who's new into the class and not having like an abundance of background knowledge. I felt that way when I was in um, comp my computer science classes in high school and especially in college when you're um, classmates with people who have been learning how to code since they were like five or three. So sometimes it's very intimidating and i feel it's very easy for students to say coding isn't right for me because again like the first couple of like weeks that you are going through like the coding process especially like if it's an intensive class or you have don't have that previous background knowledge um it's going to be very challenging and you have to put in a lot of um work to kind of like overcome that initial learning curve 
I can I can definitely relate to that. I had um, my freshman year college roommate. Like, you know, there I am. I'm trying to, like, learn how to code for the first time because there's no there was no way for me to really do it in school where I came from. I get there and my college roommates like, hey, look, check out this game I made. And he made like Othello in Linux. And I'm like, this is great. Where can I get it? And he's like, oh, it comes bundled (laughs) with with Gnome. Like it's it's part of the underlying operating system that distribution. I'm like, seriously, (laughs) like here I am trying to figure out variables. And you're like, yeah, mine comes standard with, uh, you know, the Gnome desktop environment for Linux. It's insane. Right. (laughs) I mean, it's good that you had him as a friend that he could like kind of, he could teach you and like help you. Um, oh, he was a terrible that, teacher. Like, he was because he knew how to do all of it. He couldn't explain it to you. He just did it. Right? Oh, that's so worst. he wasn't a great teacher. <laughs> but it was like, you know, you have that moment where you're like, I am totally an imposter here at the school. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And there are people writing code and competing in code competitions. How am I going to keep up with that? And the answer is you find your own path, I guess. Definitely. And um, yeah, another more realistic answer is to just like work a lot harder at the beginning to like kind of like catch up. But a lot of times um, it's not realistic because like you can't like skip any, you can't skip any steps during your learning um, journey. You just have to go through um, the different kind of like milestones. So I think a lot of students um, kind of like lose motivation uh, at an early stage and think computer science isn't right for me. Um, so I think that's one of the big biggest problems. Um, the second biggest uh, the second biggest problem I think is developing the kind of like initial passion for coding. How do you, how do how can teachers best um, create kind of like that spark at like an early age or like when students learn it for the first time? Such that, again, students can go through that grind of like um, going through like the different milestones and like at some points learning anything is going to be like really hard. So how do they um, give them kind of like that? Where does the motivation come from for them to kind of like persevere through those hard um, learning obstacles? So I think um, developing also a very strong passion by showing students a real world applications of why coding is important when they first start their journey is also um, very critical. So I would say those are the two um, biggest um, so biggest problems that if we can overcome would um, greatly increase the number of um, people interested in software engineer and future are the future generation of people pursuing computer science. Kelly, I, I think you're on mute here. Sorry, I am on mute. Sorry, I was dog was barking, <clears throat> um, and but that was a good thing I was on mute because I didn't interrupt you. Because <laughs> um, I love that, and um, I want to summarize that because I think that's like three, three very very cool objectives for a computer science program. Like number one, introduce computer science to everyone to level the playing field. Hundred percent, love that, love that, love that. Like, let's just say everyone gets at least a taster of it so that they understand here's a basic. If you like it in the future, at least you've been introduced to it early on. Number one, great. Find that initial spark. Like, number two, two objective in a computer science classroom, find something that's going to spark their learning. We do that a lot. You know, here's this person likes this games. This person likes Matplotlib. This person likes hardware. This person likes music. What do you like? I'm going to make sure that coding hits 
hits that and we're going to get that spark going. Cause once we get that spark going, opportunities are endless. And then the number three is find a passion to connect it to the real world. If every teacher in a computer science can do those three things and you imagine what the possibilities could be in the future. So not saying everybody's a coder, but at least they they've got a focus and a, and a insight into what it means to be a future learner producer in the world. So I had to summarize that. So I'm glad you, I was on mute so I can write it down. <laughs> well said, Ryan. <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting. I was um, thinking about this also um, in a different form this week. I was reading a book about how to organize teams and how to structure them. And it's a very like academic sort of, you know, lots of studies, lots of data, lots of references. But one of the concepts that they brought in there that I hadn't really thought of it in this way before was this concept of cognitive load for teams. So thinking about how loaded a team is in terms of either the the domain space that they have to cover, like they might have a really large complex system that they have to manage and maintain, or it's something that's brand new and they're having to go through like this learning curve with it. And I was thinking about cognitive load in a learning context and how, you know, students are, are you know, if you hit that peak or that limit of what you're capable of handling, right? At that m moment in time, it can be very demotivating, right? Because you just feel like there's no spare cycles, no capacity to be able to learn anything more. Like I've, it's the old far side comic, may I be excused, my brain is full, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and the learning process helps you both increase that capacity. But then as you are building the knowledge, building the context, getting the, you know, taking that journey. You said, the, you know, there's no shortcuts on the journey. Part of that is like integrating all of that knowledge that you have and turning it from being something that's really heavy cognitive load to something that's not so demanding. And so I was thinking about like, about that, it, as you were talking about this, that whole idea of cognitive loading is something that is very real for both teachers and for students, right? That this whole idea of, you know, something that might be really hard for me to grasp and learn and acquire right now, it's like making me hit my loading limit is much easier later on, right? The first time I learn about variables in Python might be a really tough, heavy load sort of thing. But then after a while, it's like, it doesn't really do anything. Like it, I get it, it's fine. And so what I was thinking about with, you know, your products and the quizzes and everything is, I, I think the gateway to like reducing that cognitive load for something is is really the practice of it, right? It's the ability to practice and apply what you're learning on a regular basis. And every time you get to do that, your cognitive load goes down, right? Like you've you've processed something, you figured it out. So how, like when you researched this area and you looked at the quizzes, like how did you think about the way that kids would be able or students would be able to practice this and apply their knowledge and then why collaboratively? What's the you know secret of doing it collaboratively versus by yourself trying to figure it out? Definitely. I feel pretty much like with anything in life that I've like um, attempted, it always I feel like in um, in business and coding in um, engineering in school, when you're on a problem set, I feel once you bounce ideas off um, with a person in general, you're going to be a lot more creative. And um, it's also a lot more comforting and contagious when somebody else is working hard towards something. It's going to naturally um be contagious towards kind of your own hard work. I think there are definitely things, especially in like coding where um, you have to kind of like, it's it's a lot more beneficial 
to do alone. But for example, if you are stuck, if you have like, if there's been so many like instances, I'm sure it's the same with you guys, but there's a small bug in your code and you've been looking at it for like hours, literally like two hours trying to like scroll through and, um, and try finding like a possible issue. But as soon as you like show you share your computer and walk through it with like um, either your teacher or like a friend and you're trying to like explain it, you're like, oh, shoot, like I know exactly like where the issue is. Or sometimes even having that new perspective um, can allow you to like solve it um, a lot me a lot easier. So I think to kind of like summarize, I think it's very important uh, from a collaborative perspective um, to work with somebody else. Um, it just be just for the energy um connection and like um also the ability to kind of ability to brainstorm with other people which i think is, and they brainstorm and communicate which with other people which i think are critical skills um needed as a developer i've done that a lot to sean i'm like don't talk don't send me the answer just listen <laughs> And he's always yeah. like, he, he knows, he knows, he's, he knows that I need that too. So I, yeah, I get that. Get that a lot. Cool. So, so tell us a little bit about, you know, how people can, you know, get connected with Juice Mind. Where do they go? How do they find out? Like, are there, there's programs for, you know, requesting sample kits. Um, how do people get started if they're curious about this? They're like, I want to try this out and see how it works. Definitely. So um, they could pretty much go to our website and um, check out if they're interested in the smart doorbell kit, they could pretty much request a free sample. They could apply for a free sample um, to try it out with a subset of students. We want to make sure that um, the students find it really valuable before um, they commit to purchasing the product or going through a pilot program. So they could apply for a free sample. Or if they're interested just off the bat, they could request a quote also. Um, and for the quizzes, the new product that we came out with, we're going to main, right now it's exclusive to AP Computer Science A, but um, if it is successful and um, that um, 11th graders find value in it, we're planning on expanding it to middle school and elementary school. So um, hopefully by then we'll, um, we'll be able to, uh, we'll, we'll be able to reach out to you on that product. Nice. More, more shooting products too, please. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Launchers. Yeah. Launchers. 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 <laughs> like, what can we do? Expo launchers. I don't know. Something. <laughs> launchers. <gasps> I don't... Yeah, never mind. Could you imagine? I, I think Kelly just had that moment. She pictured in her mind that she's up at the whiteboard and her marker stops working. She holds out a hand and it launches a fresh marker into it. She just grabs it. I'm like really known for chucking the, the dry erase markers into the garbage as they dry up. And the kids are always like, oh, she's going to miss it. And I, I most of the time I hit it. So um, you got your that. three pointers down. Yeah, three pointers down on that for the whiteboard markers. I mean, People don't know this, but Kelly did play volleyball for a long time. So she's got phenomenal hand-eye coordination and she's very competitive. So as soon as they challenge her to get it in there, she's going to make it. 
Yeah. Has any student beaten you or they don't No, you're to... not allowed to throw anything in the computer science room. That's the first one. <laughs> <laughs> Only wow. we can throw things. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to launch something, you have to build it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Challenge accepted, right? Yeah. So very cool. Well, it has been such a pleasure uh, talking with you and finally putting a, a face to a name. And we've been communicating back and forth like pretty much this whole year. And I appreciate for you to reach out with that and letting the students uh try out juice mine the uh doorbell was great so fun it took up some time for me so it was good <laughs> i i think that was one of the things i really liked about um the uh the website is it's it definitely appeals to the teachers like look it has 15 hours of <laughs> curriculum for you here you go right like it, it it's it's thinking about what teachers are trying to do is like how do i cover the things that I need to cover. It's not just like a time filler. It's also, it covers these topics or it matches these CSTA standards. So like, as you're, as you're working through it as a teacher, I think one of the things that's, that's really helpful is being able to see how this fits with the standards that you may be teaching to. Yeah, definitely. Nice. Well, uh, I don't think we have too many announcements this week. PyCon is coming up. I We have um, a few submissions that we're working through for um, speaking proposals at PyCon at the Education Summit. Uh, so more to come there, hopefully to have a schedule ready to go in the next week or two. Um, it, we are also working on ways that we can engage the broader community that uh, may not be able to attend physically uh, in Salt Lake City, but we're working on some virtual attendance options for that. Um, Kelly, I don't think we have anything else uh, going. We have some upcoming guests that you're working on and some uh, more live streams over the next few weeks, like trying I to like, get in as much as we can before the Education Summit. 100%. And I am going to plug again the Innovation Institute, Pinecrest, if you're still interested. It's April 17th and 18th. I, I pulled it up this time so I don't blunder, you know, make a mess of that. It's a great institute. I am going to be playing to learn a um, workshop. So... I'm going to bring out all the toys, all the robots. Maybe we'll throw in a, a juice, a juice mind uh, product or something in there to play with too. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but it's a fun little institute that we, we offer every year. I think this is like our seventh or eighth or ninth. She's going to kill me because I don't know. But yeah, Innovation Institute, if you're interested. So next week, we'll have that in front of you uh, in your notes. <laughs> I'll work on it. <laughs> nice. Well, if you want to um, reach out to us about anything that's upcoming, ask if you have questions for Ryan and his uh, partner at, at Juice Mind, send them our way um, or send it directly to Ryan. I, I'll post links to his Twitter account um, so you can follow him there as well as to the Juice Mind website so you can check it out for yourselves. If you have questions for Kelly and I, keep them coming. Uh, we're catching up on the backlog of emails uh, in our inbox and, and getting back to everyone. Uh, so you can find us at teachingpython.fm on the web. Um, our uh, Twitter account is at teachingpython. And I think that just about wraps it up for this week. And our LinkedIn. Oh, yes. We, we've been growing our LinkedIn presence as well. So you can catch the live streams there on LinkedIn as well as articles that Kelly's been writing. So a lot, a good plug for that. Thanks for reminding me, Kelly. No worries. All right. Well, for teach. Oh, one last thing. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, it's been great having you on the show. I wanted to say that before uh, we exited. Uh, thank you for joining us. It's been a real pleasure to to chat with you and and get to know you and and the work that you're doing at Juice Mind. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was a ton of fun. Um, yeah. Thank you for having me on the show.
Excellent. All right. So for Teaching Python, this is Sean. And this is Kelly signing off. Thank you.